Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Tom Holler. Tom is an associate editor at Delray Books. I'm very excited to have Tom on the show. Tom, welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. My first question always is, where are you in the world? You are also, I happen to know, in New York City like us. How does that play into who you are and what you do? Uh, Well, you know, if you want to be in publishing, I mean, broadly speaking, the largest concentration of publishing, particularly the largest publishing houses, are in New York City. So if you want to be an editor for the biggest publishing houses, then odds are you probably have to be in New York City, or your best chances of breaking into the industry are being in New York. Not that you can't get into publishing in other places, but it's kind of, you know, this is the place where most publishing happens. So uh, I lucked out in that I grew up in the area or I grew up near New York in Connecticut. So when I decided I want to be in publishing, it wasn't really all that difficult to get my, um, you know, my life in order and get myself to the city. But yeah, this is the place to be if you want to be in book publishing, more or less. Before we dive into what you do specifically, can you walk us through kind of how you got to this point? Did you always want to be a book editor? Were you a writer at any point? Uh, so that is, uh, there is a very, very long, very complicated <laughs> story. So I will give We've you got time, uh, the highlights. Yeah, I'll give you the highlights. <laughs> I didn't always know that I wanted to be an editor. Um, I always loved reading. I always loved um, the process of creating stories. It's never really too confident in my own individual writing, but you know, I really loved, always loved working with people on stories and developing stories and creating them, even if I wasn't putting pen to paper. I actually went to school originally, graduated and worked full-time in public accounting and taxation. So like I have an accounting degree, actually oh, wow. I have two accounting degrees, which is super weird. But uh, after I started doing that for a while, I just realized that wasn't going to be my lifelong career path. And when I started to think about what do I really want to do? What's the type of thing that gives me real fulfillment? I kind of went back to that idea about, well, I've always loved stories and loved reading. I love creating stories. I was like a newspaper editor in college. I did things like radio and literature. And also I was always sort of doing it on the periphery, on the margins. But then I decided, well, what, what if I just did that full time? So I went back to school to get another degree in writing because if you walk into um, a publishing house and say, hey, I want to be an editor. Oh, by the way, I have two taxation and accounting degrees. Probably going to get laughed at. So I went back to school to make sure that I at least had something on my resume that made me not sound crazy. And uh, that's when I sort of realized, like, yeah, I want to be in editing and publishing. I want to be in science fiction, fantasy, you know, genre editing. And, um, you know, a, a bunch of like weird twists and turns and uh, late emails and close calls and near misses and, and uh, eventually ended up at uh, Random House and, and Delray, which is where I wanted to be the whole time. Because... I just always grown up reading a lot of the books that they published and uh, was a fan of the authors that they worked with. So we usually frame our episodes around themes. In this case, I would love to kind of hear about what it means to be an editor and, and get your perspective on writing. My first question, well, we're going to start real basic. What does an editor do? And in the case of yourself, an associate editor, what does that mean? I know there's also an executive editor. Can you walk us through those different types of editors? Sure. Um, so what does an editor do? Let's start there. So 
there are actually several types of editors. Um, so you could have everything from an acquisitions editor to a developmental editor. People have probably heard the word copy editor before. There's all sorts of different types of editors. So some editors, editors broadly across all of the different types, what they do is they are involved in some way, shape, or form, large or small, with helping authors and other creators basically make the stories they've written and created the best versions of themselves. An editor's job is not to rewrite a story. An editor's job is not to you know, change the voice of the author or replace the voice of the author. It's to enhance what is already there or help that author get what might not be there, but what is in the author's head or what is behind what they've written, this sort of original intent, to help bring that to the page in whatever way, shape, or form that happens. So I mentioned there's a bunch of different types of editors. Some people you might say are acquisitions editors, which means their job is really, they will look at manuscripts, they will look at things that get submitted to them. And their job broadly is to look at them and say, this has potential, we should work on getting this published versus this isn't quite ready or this isn't the right fit for us. They might not be so involved in the actual work on the book, which is the kind of developmental editing, you know, working with the author on theme and character and, oh, this plot point isn't working and, oh, the pacing here isn't, isn't quite right. They, a developmental editor, um, which is primarily what I do, um, though I do acquisition stuff too, so sometimes these lines blur. A developmental editor is the type of editor that when you think of a book editor, most people are probably thinking of this type of job, which is working back and forth with the writer, reading through manuscript, telling them, okay, this is where things are working well. Hey, this isn't really hitting so well. You know, What were you trying to accomplish here? Let's talk about a better way to do that. Um, and then you get down to more nitty gritty stuff like copy editors, line editors who may only be looking at sort of things like grammar and style or individual word choice. There's a whole different type of bunch of editors. And my job specifically kind of encompasses a bunch of them. So I do acquisitions type stuff. I do developmental editing. I do work with a bunch of copy editors. I am not the best grammarian in the world. Um, that last sentence probably wasn't even grammatically correct. Uh, but uh, you know, I do a lot of line editing and stuff. But in some places or some publishers, you actually might find all of those things are sort of stratified. And it depends on what publishing house or what imprint you might be working with. There's not really necessarily an industry standard. But to the second part of your question about sort of associate editor versus executive editor, it's just the sort of title thing. So, you know, for the most part, and again, publishing is this weird thing where every single publishing house and individual imprints, meaning small publishing groups within a larger publishing house, all kind of do things differently. And so a lot of what I say will be generally true, but you are absolutely going to be able to find exceptions. Publishing is like basically filled with exceptions to the rules. That's just kind of how the industry goes. But you know, you might start or you'll probably start as an editorial assistant. Um, and then after spending some time as editorial assistant, you might move up to something like assistant editor. And then sort of associate editor is, um, at least for me, was a level above that, which is the level just below just editor. You lose all prefixes and, and, and other things. You're just called an editor at that point. And then executive editor or senior editor might be another title granted to someone depending on experience or your place within, you know, the, the publishing hierarchy, depending on how long you've been somewhere or success. So those terms aren't necessarily going to be even across the board when you look across all of publishing. They, you know, Some houses might not have associate editors. Some of them might use a different term. Um, so associate editor is just, I've been doing this for about five years, I've been promoted a few times, and that's just the, the level that I'm currently at. And what skills uh, make for a good editor? Uh, what qualities do you have that have led to your success to this point? Most people probably think it's reading and spelling, but um, I actually, it's, it's not necessarily those skills, or at least those aren't necessarily at the top of the list. 
I think a lot of people probably imagine you have to be a super quick reader in order to be an editor. I find that not necessarily the case across the board. Um, I'm a pretty quick writer, uh, reader, excuse me, but uh, I, I know plenty of people who, who work in editing who aren't the fastest readers in the world. I would say the biggest skills you need are A, organization, and B, kind of critical problem solving. Organization because publishing has so many different parts to it. There's so many different facets that go into making a book, and you are never just making one book. I'm never just working on one project. So I might have three, four, five, six books in various stages. One of them might be, you know, I'm, I'm negotiating a contract with an agent while I've got two books that are in manuscript. And oh, I've got two more that I've got outlines that I need to be reviewing and giving feedback on. And oh, another one is about to be published and I'm consulting with the marketing publicity departments. And we're also making sure that the cover is finalized. And all of those things are happening at the exact same time. And they're all need to be done at the exact same time. And so you need to be incredibly organized because there's just all these things moving all the time. And you need to be able to keep track of like where each book is and you know at what moments you need to be giving particular extra attention to different projects depending on how you're needed. But the other thing is critical problem solving because critical problem solving encapsulates not just the actual editing part of the job, which is, hey, you know, is this story working? Is the pacing right? Well, you know, oh, we've got an issue here with the plot. What are some potential solutions? But because being an editor is not so much about reading. You don't spend as much time reading, at least, you know, in the nine to five sort of day to day, as you might imagine, that you're just kind of constantly having to um, help navigate through different parts of the publishing process and having to liaise with a different part of the publishing company. So I might be in a meeting with the marketing team and the publicity team, and then 30 minutes later, be sitting down with my production manager to talk about, you know, an issue related to production. And though, oh, by the way, I have to go back to my desk and write you know, 100 words of copy to go on the back cover of this book and go online. And all that's happening in the span of like an hour and a half, two hours. And you're just jumping between all these different disciplines. Because as the editor, you are the fulcrum of the book. You know the book the best. You have the close relationship with the author and the agent. You are the person who has to help bring all these other publishing industry people together to work on this project. Because the publicity and marketing department always aren't always talking to production. And you know, aren't always talking to design. And so you have to be the one through all these things kind of pass through to get organized. I would love to walk through the steps of getting a book to the editing process from the writer's perspective. On the acquisition side specifically, how does a book get to you? Can a writer query you specifically or do they have to go through an agent to get to you? So this will depend on your, your publishing house and everything like that. So at Delray, the publishing uh, imprint that I work for, we do not accept unsolicited manuscripts, which means if you as a writer happen to you know, get my email as an editor and send me a manuscript, uh, I'm not going to read it. Uh, we don't read unsolicited uh, manuscripts. We only read them from agents. So in the case of the publishing house that I work for, the imprint I work for, yes, you'd need an agent. But you know, there are plenty of publishing houses and imprints where they do accept unsolicited manuscripts, or they might have particular periods where they say, okay, we're open for the next three months. You, know, you can send in unsolicited manuscripts. So Assuming for a moment that you need an agent, the way that I think it happens most often in traditional publishing, and obviously if you were going the self-publishing route, I probably wouldn't even be involved in your process. So we're going to talk only about sort of traditional publishing at the moment. A prospective writer would submit to an agent based on whatever criteria the agent has, and agencies always have all sorts of criteria about how much of a particular piece they want you to submit, how they want you to submit it, the formats, et cetera, et cetera. An agent loves your book. Oh my God, this is great. I need to help you publish this. And you know what? 
um, it's this great science fiction and fantasy book. I know this great editor um, I've got a good relationship with. I know exactly the kinds of things he likes. I'm going to pitch this to him because I think he's going to love it. And that's one of the things that happens is that I spend time talking with agents about the kind of books that I would enjoy seeing or the kind of things that I'm interested in or, hey, you know what? You know what? I've seen 30 of this kind of book and I've seen way too many of those. I don't want to see those types of books anymore. So agents spend a lot of time talking to various editors and learning what the editor wants to see, kind of what they already have too much of, what they're really looking for, what they're super excited about. And so that when they get their projects in, they know exactly which editors to pitch them to. So they're not necessarily just like scattering the pitches out to every editor in the publishing industry and hoping one of them sticks. They're doing it with more precision and with some, some information behind it. So then this agent would you know, submit manuscript to me. I would read it, say, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. I absolutely need to publish this. This, this is amazing. Um, you know, I know exactly what the author is trying to do here. This is, this is fantastic. And from there, what I would start to do is kind of within the publishing house that I work at, I would be starting to share that book with other people to sort of get internal support, make the argument for, hey, this is why I need to buy this book. This is the types of books that I see it as. These are the kinds of books that I would compare it to. In publishing, everything is based on comps. Everything was referred to as comps, but just means comparisons. You know, the easiest way to explain a book to someone is to just say what other books it's like. So you're always looking at comparisons because comparisons can tell you a lot of things about how the book might do, the type of audience for the book, the way in which you may or may not want to try to position it based on cover art or the types of copy to use, et cetera, et cetera. And then from there, as long as sort of the other people that I work with or the people that I you know, um, report to as far as acquisitions are concerned, if we all sort of agree on that, that's when we start to move into the phase where you're starting to think about making an actual formal financial offer and commitment to an agent. And then um, assuming the agent doesn't you know, want to take it to auction, where you might have multiple publishers all trying to bid on a book, or you might have a bunch of competing offers, you would then start actually negotiating with the agent and the author on buying the book. And along with that would probably be when I would want to reach out to the prospective author through the agent and say, you know, like your book, love it, would love to publish it, but also give them a sort of first look at like, this is my vision for your book. This is what I see for your book. These are the kinds of tweaks or enhancements I might want to make to it based on what I you know, read and what I think you're trying to accomplish. Because the most important thing for me as an editor is that I am on the same page with the authors that I'm working with. Because if I have a vision for a book that does not match the vision that the author has for a book, that's going to make for a really tough, really probably bad editor-author relationship. We're probably not going to end up publishing a very good book together. So I always want, when I'm talking to a writer and an author for the first time, always sort of start with a high-level discussion of like, this is what my vision for the project is. What's your vision? And if we don't agree, then if we, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of having a conversation. You're like, oh, we actually do agree, or, or these are the places where you can compromise. But you want to make sure that you're just start starting off on that really solid footing. And then if all that goes well, then hopefully the book gets signed up. We then put the book through the starting to put it through the process of editing and revising it and then work towards things like you know the production side and marketing and publicity and cover art and all that stuff now i should note that's kind of how it works broadly in traditional publishing but part of the publishing that i do which is a little bit different is that i do tie-in and license publishing as well and in fact that's primarily what i work on right now which means i work on publishing books with like really big brands like star wars and blizzard entertainment and magic the gathering and in those cases the process by which one of those books gets made and then published and an author gets brought on board is a little bit different because for the most part, we don't really s solicit pitches and manuscripts from people. We usually have the kernel of an idea and then we'll go out and find an author we think can execute and develop that idea. 
based on their writing styles and sensibilities. So it's a, it's a little bit different from just general traditional publishing. But if you just want to know how does a book go from nothing into an editor's hands, that's broadly speaking how it can happen. As far as the initial manuscript that is worked on by a writer, then submitted to an agent, and then ultimately somehow gets into your hands, what does that manuscript look like? Is there a certain level of perfection? Obviously, a novel is never truly perfect until it really is printed, right? So at what point would you suggest that a writer is really ready to submit? Ooh, that's, that's tough because it's obviously going to differ by the writer. And it's going to differ based on like a million different factors. So the the kinds of things that I'm looking for when someone would be submitting a manuscript for me is, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect because no book is perfect when it shows up. And because part of the publishing process is about making the book the best version of itself, I know that when a book comes into me, it's not, you know, we're not just going to be like, great, throw a cover on that and send it to the bookstore, you know, cut, print, you know, no, no changes. Um, or like F7, spell check one more time and off we go. That's just not how it works really ever. So I'm looking for a few things. A, I'm looking for a really good story with strong characters and the foundation of something really strong and compelling. Because even if there's going to be changes, oh, you know, two thirds away through the book, oh, you know, the pacing gets a little wonky or hey, you know, they got two chapters in here. They really don't need to be here. They're not bringing a whole lot of value. Those should maybe be cut or revised in a certain way. If the foundation of, of the story and the characters is really strong, then having those revisions be made and making those kinds of changes is not really a big issue. And you can, you know, usually see that's the other part of it is do I have a clear vision for what this book could be based on what it is at the moment? Oh my gosh, this is great. I can totally see what the author is going for. There's XYZ changes, but the pathway to making a really good story or making the story even better is clear. So that's what, that's one thing. Um, because if I read a book and I'm like, well, it's kind of good, I guess. I, mean, I kind of enjoyed it. I don't really know what I would do with that. I don't really know. You know, if I, if I don't have an actual strong feeling about a book, I'm probably not the right editor to be working on it. Because again, you need to have a clear vision and you need to have a vision that matches up with what the writer wants to do. Obviously, I want to see a book that has polish in terms of grammar and spelling and voice and, and sentence construction and stuff. Totally willing to work with some of that because, you know, there's varying degrees of it. But if I end up getting a book that's just like sentence fragments and there's a lot of typos, which just shows not just a lack of polish and understanding, but just like, did the author and agent put enough effort into like just checking basic things about the book before they sent it to me? So as far as when someone's ready to submit, I think that one of the things, I mean, that's, that's a sort of hard thing for me to say. I would say that if you're, you're writing and you have critique partners, you have a writing group, you have people who are beta readers, meaning people who kind of read as you're developing and help give you feedback either in the general or the specific, once you start to feel confident in the kinds of feedback you might be getting from those resources and from those communities that you have, that might be the time then to start to think about like querying agents, which is just a fancy word for saying submitting to agents. But, you know, that might, you know, someone, people might be working on their manuscript for years and some people might be working on their manuscript only for a short amount of time before they feel they're ready. So it's hard to give an exact answer. There's certainly not like, okay, I've been working on this book for exactly 87 days. That's when I should be submitted. That's just, you know, it just writing is, is an art, not a science. So it doesn't really, it's not that prescriptive. As far as the query letter itself, I know obviously those are sent to the agent. From your experience working with agents, is there a secret to, um, <laughs> to a good query letter? Are there things that writers should do and definitely should not do? I mean, so... Because I don't see a whole lot of query letters, I get query letters from agents or I get versions of query right. I've seen from agents because agents write pitch letters to editors to help, you know, 
sell them on the book when they send it to them or help frame the book in a particular way so that when the other is reading it, they're like, oh, yeah, this totally is like that other book. Or, oh, yeah, totally get what the agent meant. I think, um, A, there are tons of amazing resources out on the web, things like Query Tracker uh, um, and, and stuff like that, where you can actually go and read real queries that people sent into agents. You can read queries that people had you know, sent in and got positive feedback on. You can sort of really get a sense of the kinds of things that have worked for people in the past or the kinds of things that haven't. And there's a lot of communities that exist around people querying. So totally, if you're interested in that, I absolutely um, encourage you to go kind of seek out those resources because those will be really, really helpful. I think broadly, the kinds of things is, A, you don't want to misrepresent your book in terms of creating expectations that your book cannot abs- you cannot deliver on. And I don't just mean like describing your book in a way that it isn't, because if you say, oh my God, this is like this amazing like horror book or horror novel, and I start reading it, and I'm like, there's, there's no horror in here. This is not a horror story. A, uh, that's probably going to annoy me a little bit, but B, <laughs> you're also just kind of characterizing your story in the wrong way, and someone who might have been excited about it, for one reason, is suddenly not going to be excited about it because you, know, they cre- you created an expectation that your book didn't deliver on. Same goes when you're pitching, uh, querying an agent, and you use comparisons that are like wildly, like wildly off base, like comparing your book to Harry Potter, like this is the next Harry Potter. It might be. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but chances are it's not. And that's not a helpful comparison because you're comparing it to something like so large and so successful and so all-encompassing that it's hard to get a real read on what you mean when you say that. And so finding comparisons that are reasonable and that provide a sort of specific understanding about the, your book, either in terms of its scope or the types of characters or its themes, is A, hard. Finding comparisons in good comps is a difficult thing. I have to do it as an editor when I'm kind of talking about my books in-house to other people. I know agents have to do it. It's one of the toughest parts of publishing. So if you're a writer and you're struggling coming up with comps for your queries, don't worry. You are in a very good company with all the agents and all the editors and all the other writers in the publishing world. So I would say those kinds of things, creating expectations that your book just can't deliver on or categorizing your book in a way that's just not true, that creates, again, an expectation in the reader that when they go to read it, they don't get. And then that creates a negative reinforcement for them, even if what they read was actually really good. They're like, well, that was good, but that's not what I was expecting at all. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, So you want to try to avoid doing that kind of thing. Are there any other factors that factor in uh, when you're making that decision to want to work with an author, whether it's their social media presence, maybe they have their own established brand, or maybe they wrote another book in the past? Does that kind of factor in as opposed to someone who's just starting from scratch, so to speak? Sure. I mean, always I'm uh, part of a an agent's note to us, and I would imagine that then part of a query that goes to an agent, it's going to be some information about you as an author. So I'm always going to want to know a little bit about the person who I might potentially be working with outside of the manuscript that I have in front of me. So certainly, if they are a published author before, I want to look and see, oh, is this a book in a similar genre or a similar series or vein to what they've done before? Are they branching out to do something new? Um, that's always interesting to know. Are they a debut author versus you know a, a, an author with some experience or perhaps um, perhaps a experience in a different medium? So you know have they done a bunch of short story anthologies and some novellas, but this is their first time first full novel? Do they have experience in comics or writing for games or, or script writing or screenplays? That's always important to know about versus say a debut. And yeah, if you know they've got published novels, I'm going to want to look up and see how they did. And is it just a case of this writer just moving into something new? 
uh, is there a different way that we might publish this book versus how the other book was published? And again, when I say like how we might publish this book, that's encompassing a lot of different things that everything from how you talk about the book in the art titling, cover design, copy versus like how you promote the book and the types of media and publicity and marketing initiatives that you try to take on. So that's always going to be part of the story, but also the individual. I want to know about the author because as I mentioned before, editors and authors have like a super close relationship. You're going to spend a lot of time talking with each other. You're going to spend a lot of time in each other's company, a lot of time on the phone, a lot of emails back and forth. It's going to become as close a relationship as you might have um, compared to other relationships in your life. You're going to have you know, a lot of experience, a lot of time with them. And so I just want to get to know them a little bit. Do they happen to actually, do they have interests outside of publishing that I might also have? Like, are we into like the same movies or anything like that? Just because anything might help us grow our rapport a little bit more. And the more that we can grow that kind of rapport, then, you know, the better we're going to work together and the better story that we're going to end up publishing together. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. The Flickering Myth Podcast is a source for all of the weekly entertainment news that we could possibly be bothered to talk about. Tune in every Tuesday for a roundtable discussion featuring a host of Flickering Myth writers and contributors. You can find us on all your favorite podcatchers as well as right here at flickeringmyth.com, part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Alan Christian. I'm Gerald James. And I'm Lacey Day. And we host the Four Color Film Podcast. What do we do at the Four Color Film Podcast, Gerald? We watch and dissect every comic book-based film. Lacey, do you still like being here? Yeah, it's really great. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and wherever else they have Good podcasts and podcasts like these. <laughs> you sound like a kidnapping victim. <laughs> also on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network at flickeringmyth.com along with other great shows. Check us out and check them out too. Thank you. Hell Zane. Hell Zane. Hell Zane. You mentioned that you lean towards sci-fi, established brands like Star Wars. Are you able to talk about the types of books that you're currently looking for in your mind right now as an editor? I wish there was this. I'm looking for this. Is that something you can talk about? Yeah. um, I mean, like I said, I'm focused at the moment. I focus mainly on doing licensed and tie-in fiction. So I'm not necessarily myself open to getting individual queries and things. And I'm certainly not kind of going out doing that because, you know, I'm working on so many other things at the moment. But broadly speaking, I'm definitely interested in seeing and finding like some really great, big, broad, epic sci-fi. Um, I think in the way that you've just seen an epic fantasy like explode over the last 10 years in both publishing and other media, I think that hasn't totally happened for like big, 
sci-fi space opera. And not just like space fantasy, Star Wars, space fantasy, not really sci-fi. I think it hasn't really totally happened yet. And so I think that there's room for something like that. And I always dug a lot of that stuff growing up. And so if I was going to be looking at taking on or considering a project like that, I think it would be something like that. But at the moment, because so much of what I do is the tie-in and license fiction, I'm not actually really like looking at a lot of individual queries um, and looking at uh, a lot of solicited manuscripts, at least at the moment. But the nice thing about publishing is like people at times, their sensibilities and what they want to do as editors or kinds of projects they want to see can change. So at some point, maybe that changes. But at the moment, um, that's just not what the primary focus of my career is. Once you start working with a writer, what's that relationship look like? I know you've kind of talked about it a decent amount so far, but what are those back and forth? What do your notes look like? What is the nitty gritty of the daily kind of communication that you referenced? Sure. So um, this is actually another skill that if you're interested in being an editor, you should probably think about trying to cultivate in the best in whatever ways that you can, um, which is people management. You know, as an editor, one of my goals and one of my roles is to be a sounding board for a writer. And sometimes that sounding board is, you know, they're stuck on trying to solve something in a revision or trying to crack something in a plot or whatever. And they just need someone to like chat to and maybe vent to for a few minutes about like, oh, this isn't working, you know. What can we do sort of things? You just need someone to chat to about that. And so sometimes it's that. But also sometimes you just have to have conversations just about like life in general or like, you know, how uh, things are going broadly. And because as an editor, I spend so much time chatting with my authors, it just becomes part of the gig and part of the relationship is to have conversations that go beyond being like, hey, do you think that this would work as a character arc for, you know, John Smith? Like, so there's, there's some of that. As far as the kinds of feedback that I give, um, what I try to do is I'm always giving sort of, you know, obviously the biggest, broadest feedback of like overall in the book here, are the, you know, the three best things that it has going for it or here overall in the book. These are like uh, the three biggest things we got to think about kind of globally or, or broadly as the kinds of changes, like the pacing overall needs work. So we need to look at places, both macro and micro, where we can, you know, improve the pacing or keep the pacing balanced or, or help it pick up or whatever issue happens to be. But one of the things that I try to do when I'm providing feedback to authors is, A, be specific as possible. So don't just say, hey, the pacing's not working, but point out the places where, some places where the pacing isn't working here because X, Y, Z. And the pacing's not working here because X, Y, Z. And if the pacing here was different, this is what it would do for the book. But then what I also try to do is provide suggestions. And provide suggestions for revisions for a very specific reason. Not because I think my ideas are better than whatever the author could come up with, I guarantee you, they're probably not because authors are writers and I'm not a writer. I'm an editor. Um, So I help people create the best version of their story, but I do not have um, any designs on actually writing and being, being really an author myself. So the reason I make suggestions is not to tell the writer, okay, do this. It's to say, well, you know, we need to adjust the pacing and we need to kind of find a way to speed this up. Well, here's a way you could do that. And the reason why I do that is, A, I never, want to feel, I never want a writer to feel like I'm simply asking them to make a change for making a change sake or saying, hey, here's a problem that I identified. Good luck fixing that. And they go running off into the night you know, to leave them to their own devices. I always want to give them a suggestion that they can start with. And maybe they're like, actually, you know, that's a great suggestion. You know, I'm going to tweak it a little bit, but that actually works totally. That's exactly what I think we should do. But a lot of times what I find and what I hope is that They'll read my suggestion. I'll be like, eh, I mean, I can kind of see that, but my suggestion will help kind of give them a starting point to come up with something even bit better. 
and something that is, you know, more in their voice or more into the intent behind what they're trying to do with the story. So I'm always trying to give specific feedback and always trying to give them suggestions because I just never want the writer to sort of feel like they're out there on their own trying to revise the story or trying to make it better or trying to work through an outline. I always want to kind of remind them like, hey, over here, just in case you need anything, always right here. Feel free to, you know, feel free to let me know if, if, if things are going awry. Is there one thing in your experience working with writers that they do right? And is there one thing that they tend to do wrong? Maybe not meeting deadlines, that kind of thing. I mean, man, one thing they tend to do. Oh, well, meeting <laughs> deadlines is like the thing you need to do. Right. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to revise that. Meeting deadlines is very important. The thing you need to do and the thing that the writers that I have the best relationships with and that I enjoy working with the most all do, 100% of them all do this without fail and without fault. They all communicate really well on both their needs as an author and their abilities. So when I say communicate, I mean they say, hey, you know what? I can't make the deadline you've given me. And they don't tell me that six hours before the deadline. They don't even tell me 24 hours. They tell me well before the deadline. They say, hey, working on this thing, you know what? It's not gonna, I'm not going to be able to meet that deadline or this can be better if I had more time. Can we talk about more time? And communication across the board versus saying, hey, those notes were really good. I had X, Y, Z other questions that you didn't address. Do you mind checking on these things for me within the manuscript? These are things that I was really worried about. Or them sending those notes in when they submit the manuscript say, hey, you know, I think it's really, you know, I'm really excited about this, but could you specifically check, you know, chapter 31 and that character who gets introduced halfway through the book? Because those places, I, you know, I was just really struggling with it. If writers don't communicate to me as their editor, it's hard for me to guess sometimes at the kinds of things they might be worried about, the things that they want extra help on, or the things that they want to be you know, discussing a bit more. So communication is always key. That's the thing that you kind of need to do as an author. You can't just disappear for forever and write your book like in a vacuum um, if you have an editor. You need to be communicating with them, particularly if problems arise, because any problem can be solved with time and communication, any problem in publishing literally all of them. I guess money sometimes, depending on <laughs> what the problem might be. But otherwise, like any editorial problem or creative problem, we can solve if you tell me about it and if we have enough time to sort of work through it. But if you don't communicate, that's probably going to create a lot more issues. And to be quite honest, if, if I ended up with an author who was really bad at communication or just refused to communicate, I'm not really sure that we would have the, all the, that a long-term relationship because you just kind of can't publish books that way. So I guess communication covers both of those as far as things that writers do right all the time and things that, you know, they should endeavor to never do wrong <laughs> or try not to do wrong if you can avoid it. When you're working with a writer, at what point do you know after all the back and forth, after getting to a point where it's getting closer, when do you know when that book is ready to move on to the next steps to go through with the actual publishing of it? I mean, usually it's just when we've come to a place where, you know, they're any of the the biggest sort of concerns about the story, either like, oh man, the, the whole plot in the middle just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Or, oh my gosh, you know, the characters don't really have any arcs. They're not going through anything. They're kind of who they are on page one is who they are on page 300, and they haven't really done a whole lot. Or once we've sort of gone through those initial passes um, and those initial discussions and revisions, we all sort of feel broadly satisfied is when we sort of start to move on. I try to read a book when I first get it, I try to read it three times, um, which I know sounds like a lot, but that's kind of um, what I try to do as long as I have time in the schedule. The first time I read the book, I make pretty much no notes. I'm just reading it to read. 
I'm reading it to get all my first impressions about um, the story in the way that if you were a reader who picked this book off the shelf or ordered it offline and it showed up your house the way you would be reading it. So I don't really make any notes unless I see some like egregious thing where it's like chapter six, pages 20 to 27. Like I have absolutely no idea what's going on. So anything that's just like an extinctual note, good or bad. Oh my God, this is amazing. Oh my God, this dialogue is fantastic. Oh my gosh, I'm having like a crazy, like emotional reaction to this scene. Or like, I have no idea what's going on here. Or like, I hate this character or anything just like that. Those are the only notes I make. Otherwise, I'm just trying to kind of get the story down and understand where the story's going. Then I'll read it through a second time. And I will actually start to make my big notes about what I think's working and what's not. And the reason I wait to do it the second time is if I notice something on page 20 that might not be working, well, if I've already read it once, I might say, well, but I know on page 80, this actually kind of comes back around. So how do we, what kind of tweaks would we make so that when it comes back around in page 80, it's more impactful, or there's just that little bit of foreshadowing to give readers that understanding that this is going to be important. So knowing and seeing those connections and how different parts of the book are, are, are uh, in conversation with each other is important. And then the third time through, I'm reading through for my like nitty gritty line edits about like individual word choice. Does this sound like this character? Hey, you know, would this person say that? Or is this the best way to describe that? So I try to do that before I send it back to the writer um, initially, because then I feel like it gives me the best hand on exactly what we need to work through. So that then after we work through those things, I sort of know in the big picture of, all right, now the book is ready to move on to the next steps um, and move into like starting to get it processed and produced towards being a final book, starting to go through the copy editing and proofreading. But all of this sort of major structural and core work on the narrative is done. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes I have to, I only have time to read a book like twice or one and a half times. So I have to kind of condense some of those things. But uh, in an ideal situation, I try to read it three times, which is, I think, it would, which gives me a better handle on, on how, to, how to know when a book is ready. And when the book is ready, what are the next steps for both you and then for the author? How is the author sure. involved and what are they working on? Yeah. So the, once a book is, again, broadly ready, what will happen is the book will start to be put into production. This is when we go from a book being like a Microsoft Word document to starting to put it into the process that will eventually turn it into nice, laid out, formatted, beautiful pages, and then eventually into a final book. So the first thing that will usually happen is it'll get put through um, copy editing and proofreading, which is, again, different from what I might have been doing, doing developmental edits or individual line edits. Um, A copy editor and one or more proofreaders will actually start to read through the book for things like grammar and style, obviously things like typos, um, make suggestions about things like sentence construction or individual vocabulary, that again, is not meant to replace the writer's voice or say, oh, your voice or your choices as a writer are bad. It's just about saying, hey, we think this is what you're trying to say. This may be a better way to say it. This may be a clearer way to say it, a more impactful way to say it. And so what will happen is after that happens, when we get the document back, the author will actually go through the entire document and all the suggested changes, and they will say, hey, these are great totally make these. Uh, I don't really agree with these. Please don't make these. And, you know, this was a good suggestion. I actually came up with a, with a different idea. Can we do this? And they will actually go through and mark all of those changes. And me and the author um, may have a conversation about like, you know, I like these from the copy edits. Eh, you know, maybe we don't want to do this. Or, or, you know what, this brings up a good question, though. Maybe we need to rethink, you know, this small thing about a character or something like that. So 
that's probably the next big step that the author is going to be involved in is looking at their copy edits and their proofs and kind of making another pass through the book on the smaller level as far as making tweaks. Um, we're always looking for typos. No matter what, you are never done looking for typos. I promise every book that's ever been published has typos in it, no matter how many times it was proofread. It is my the thing that keeps me up at night that we have not caught all the typos. <laughs> but uh, so so that'll start to happen. And at the same time, kind of concurrent to that, because you know a book can start to go into production, but then there's other things that can happen concurrently, we'll probably start to talk about things like a book cover. And again, this goes back to the, like, there are exceptions to all the rules and there aren't necessarily standard rules all the time in publishing, but authors may or may not be involved with a cover design to a great extent or a small extent. It will depend on a host of variables. Always, When I'm working with an author, I always try to get them if it's on an original project, I'm always going to try to get them involved as much as we can in the cover process, um, because obviously I want the, the author to be happy with their cover. When we're working on sort of a licensed or branded cover with someone like Star Wars or Blizzard and stuff, those conversations aren't necessarily with the author as much as they're with like the, the team at that, those various groups that we're working with. But we're going to start to have conversations about the cover. So what kind of cover do we want? And if we want characters, which characters? And what do those characters look like if we haven't really described them well enough yet in the book? Or we need kinds of details for the art designer that you know the reader doesn't necessarily need or you wouldn't have thought to give. And then we're also going to start to talk to the author. I'm going to have conversations with them about like, as we get closer to publishing the book, and we're going to have marketing and publicity initiatives to hopefully promote and help sell your book to people and help you know make you more aware to people, um, we're going to have to start to have conversations about the kinds of things we're going to do. Are we going to go to conventions? Are we going to have some sort of promotional item? Are we going to ask you to do interviews here, there, everywhere? What kind of things might you want to do as an author? What kind of things might be important for you in terms of promotion? And how can we work with the departments that you know I work with at the publisher to kind of make some of those things happen? All of those conversations will start happening too while the book is working its way through copy edits and production and then eventually getting laid out for the first time as a laid out book, at which point the author will look at it again. Again, we're looking for typos. Those typos always escape us. No matter how much, how many times you read through a book, there's always going to be a typo. But all of these things, all of these kinds of conversations are happening simultaneously over the course of the weeks and months that will lead up to a book being completely done and then being sent out to be printed. And then eventually, you know, ship to bookstores and, and online retailers and, and all that stuff. When the book is completely finished, what are you moving on to? I imagine you're working on many other projects. Kind of where does that fit in the cycle of kind of continuing on to the next book? Or are you juggling multiple projects at once? Uh, I'm always juggling multiple projects at once. So like, for instance, you know, I'm finishing up proofs on uh, proofing on a book. I'm kind of in the last bit of editing and searching for typos. <laughs> and um uh, and other little, just very tiny tweaks. But I also have, you know, another book that's coming out in two months that is pretty much done with all that, and it's being printed. And so we're having conversations about the marketing and publicity stuff that we need, should be doing. And then I have uh, a book. I have two books right now that the authors are working on manuscripts. So I'm sort of checking in with them every now and then about like, hey, how's things going? Anything, anything we need to chat about? You doing good? Do you need anything? And then also I have one or two books in the outline stage where I'm. You know, waiting to see the outline so I can provide feedback before the authors move on to manuscript. So, sort of just have, you know, a bunch of projects in a bunch of different places, specifically with an author. If I'm signed up with an author and we're working on a series, when the first book is done, 
probably start to have a conversation about where we're going with the next book. If it was a series that was entirely mapped out before, maybe we already know, but we just say, hey, you know, I know we said that book two was going to do X, Y, Z, but, you know, based on how book one developed, like maybe we actually do this instead, or maybe we, we bring this character in because, you know, this character, you know, wasn't going to be a big part of book one, but they're really like one of the better parts. Can we find a way to, you know, to keep them around or something like that? Probably start to have conversations about where their next project might go um, if we happen to be signed up with them to do more than one project. But yeah, just because one book is finished, it usually just means like, great, I have a little bit more free time to devote to, you know, the other six or seven projects that I've got going on. Or if I'm really, really good, and if I've scheduled my time really, really well, then when a book is completely finished, that's just when another book is really starting to ramp up and like, oh, great, the manuscript for, my, for a new book just arrived. I have now all this time that I can devote solely to this manuscript. That kind of scheduling perfection does not always happen. <laughs> um, in fact, it rarely happens. But that's kind of always the dream uh, as an editor is that you'll just flow from one project to another without them all crashing into each other. But inevitably, there is some crashing. Tom, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? Uh, I mean, I'm a book editor, so seemingly <laughs> random questions is like kind of part of my day. Perfect. The first one you mentioned early on in the episode, self-publishing. Are there pros and cons to writers who are thinking about self-publishing versus going the route, finding an agent? and going to a publisher? Sure. I mean, absolutely. For self-publishing, you obviously, as the writer, have way more individual control over absolutely everything because you are responsible for absolutely everything. So everything from any kind of editing and revising assistance or work that you might want, the actual production of your book, and that, you know, whether you're making physical books or whether you just need to get a sort of digital ebook created to put up on, you know, Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble or whatever, to finding ways to promote the book. Obviously, you get control over all of those things, but all of it is also your responsibility, which means if you aren't doing it, it is not happening. Whereas, you know, with uh, getting an agent or, or more traditional publishing, some of those tasks and frankly, some of those costs, because, you know, it's not necessarily going to be free, free to get books produced, are taken on by either your publisher or your agent will assist with. So that's the sort of trade-off and balance. And for every writer and, and author, there's an individual decision to be made about what parts of the bookmaking process they really, really want to be involved in or what's important to them as far as their career as a writer. So I certainly never discourage anyone from wanting to do self-publishing. It's just uh, always a reminder of like to educate yourself really well on the kinds of additional things you're going to have to do beyond just writing up a manuscript and revising it. Next question is, if you could take any writer living or dead to any fast food restaurant, which writer, which restaurant, and why? I mean, I would take Tolkien because Tolkien was my favorite writer growing up and just getting to hang out with him um, would be cool. Uh, I don't know what fast food restaurant we're going to. I don't, it's not necessarily like Hobbit-specific fast food <laughs> that I thought that I would think that taking him to. Does look, a place like Panera doesn't count as fast food, right? Yeah, it's a chain. Could it's a chain? Okay, yeah. I'm, uh, somewhere like Panera, you know, um, where we can like sit and hang out and like eat cookies from the bakery and and just talk about Hobbits. So sounds lovely. The next question is: How would you suggest aspiring writers get their foot in the door, or more importantly? If you could choose one learning or insight from your career to pass along to aspiring writers, what would you say? And if that happens to tie into them getting their foot in the door, that's great too. Oh boy. So this is going to sound a little bit like a cop-out answer because it's not all that specific or actionable. <laughs> but 
this really is kind of the one big thing because this is the thing that when people tell me that they want to be an editor and what can I do? Uh, you know, what's my advice for them to be an editor? This is the thing I tell them. And I think it works the same for writers, which is that getting into publishing as an editor and getting published traditionally as a writer is difficult and can take a long time and can be hard. And there are always way more people who want to do it than people who will be able to do it. So there's always way more people who want to be editors than there are actual editing jobs. And of course, there's way more people who want to be published authors than there are books that are going to be published. It's just, just how things go. So the thing that I always tell people is, A, you have to just be aware that that grind is probably going to happen. Um, and so not to be discouraged the first, second, third, fifth, tenth, 20th time that, you know, it doesn't work for you or doesn't pay off or you get a rejection or you sort of, you get turned down for an opportunity because that's just the nature of the publishing beast. And the way to think about it is if you stop pursuing it, well, that's one less person who's pursuing it. That that's the moment that someone else who says, nope, I'm going to keep going or I'm going to, you know, you know, make a tweak or try something different or, or whatever. That's the moment that that person then kind of gets a step forward because there's one less person they're competing against. So uh, the other thing that I would tell writers specifically is, um, you know, don't just be like, okay, I'm quitting, quitting everything. I'm going to be a writer. And that's just it. Um, because uh, I know most writers and many writers who, in fact, writing is not their full-time job. Because making a living as a writer full-time with no other um, income streams, with no other um, jobs or careers can be very challenging, particularly in starting out. The chances that you're going to get an advance of a crazy amount of money that lets you just do nothing but write all day is pretty low. And the number of writers who who get to that point is is not that many. And it often takes many writers a long time to become essentially career authors where they can quit another job or put aside any other uh, jobs that they might have and just say, yep, all I do every day is write and get published. And, and, and that's what I do. So I think while that can be more challenging because it means that you're dividing your time between writing and doing everything else, it's a smart thing to do. Um, and it's something that you should really kind of go into your career as a writer and building your career as a writer thinking about that you're going to need some sort of thing to help augment you in terms of being able to help pay for your rent and pay for your food and pay to take care of you while you are working on becoming a writer. And that the first time that someone says, great, we want to buy your book, is not the time to walk into your other job and say, peace out, everyone, I quit, because that could end up being disastrous since there's no guarantees that you know, you're going to get published forever and ever and that your book is going to sell millions of copies and make you tons of money. So that would probably be the, the thing. Because I've definitely heard of some writers who like they get their first advance and they actually just quit their oh, job. Wow. And I've definitely sat around with some publishing friends and heard stories about that. And everyone who works in publishing just looks at each other like, oh my gosh, why would they do that? So don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't um, do that. <laughs> the next question, A, is there anything you want to plug that's on the horizon or that you can talk about or that came out recently? And then the second part of that is, what does the future have in store for you? What can we look forward to? Where's your career trajectory going? The whole big picture there. Oh, man. Uh, man, that's an easy one. Uh, okay, so just uh, things to look out for. Um, been really excited about um, a bunch of the Star Wars stuff that we've been working on this year. So just had a new um, Thrawn book by Timothy Zahn, Thrawn Treason, came out last month. Um, it was really great and was super fun to work on. We've got a book coming out in a few weeks called Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Black Spire by Delilah S. Dawson, which is a Star Wars book that involves the setting of the um, 
Galaxy's Edge theme parks that you can visit in California and very soon in Florida, but is also just a really cool, amazing story um, set between episodes eight and nine. That's about, man, things don't look too good for the resistance. What's going on there? Um, so that is going to be a lot of fun um, and been looking forward to. And then following that vein in November, um, I had the absolute esteemed pleasure to be working with uh, Becca Roanhorse on a book called Resistance Reborn, which is again a uh, a bridge between episodes eight and nine and is um this awesome amazing story that um i wish i could talk more about but i can't um but uh <laughs> come november when everyone is just in a fever pitch and is staring at the calendar willing it to be december so that they can go see star wars episode nine this wonderful book resistance reborn will will drop uh into the world and help you know help satiate some of that that unending hunger for star wars and then as far as what's next um you know on September 2nd will be my five-year anniversary of being an editor and being a Del Rey. Congrats. And um, thank you. Um, so five years, um, which is pretty cool because it's pretty much the longest time I've ever done anything for in my life. And, uh, you know, I absolutely love where I am and what I do. Um, going to work at Delray, getting to work on things like Star Wars and Blizzard and all those kinds of things that like are the things that I just love in outside of work. It's like the stuff that I play or read or do when I'm not at work. And the fact that when I go to work, I just kind of get to keep doing those same things. And I get to call it a job uh, is really cool. So I don't really have any big, crazy plans for like, oh my gosh, in five years, I'm going to be doing XYZ. Honestly, in five more years, I hope I'm still, I hope, hope I'm doing this um, because it's, um, it's a lot of fun. And I get to work with amazing authors. I get to work with authors who I grew up reading, but then also I get to help go out and find new authors to bring into these worlds and to bring into these places and provide their amazing voices and perspectives to these larger stories. So yeah, I don't, don't know, no major like giant career shifts or plans at the moment. Um, I want to keep getting better uh, as an editor, want to keep getting more organized or find better ways to work and communicate with authors, um, which is kind of an individual thing because every author has different needs, but also just broadly. Every time I finish a project, I think about like, oh man, what did I do good here? And what did I totally bollocks up? And what do I need to fix? So um, yeah, that, that's kind of where that sits. Did you want to plug your Twitter handle? Sure. Uh, if you would uh, like to um, chat with me on Twitter, um, you can find me at Darth Internus, I-N-T-E-R-N-O-U-S. Um, and Darth, just spelled like Darth Vader on Twitter. You can we can chat about publishing. I'm always happy to answer questions about being an editor or whatever, and, and to what extent I can. Or I'll just share pictures of my um, interns, meaning my cats. Um, so you know, there's fun stuff there. All right, Tom. We have one last unsolicited request coming your way. Did you have fun today, Tom? I had a lot of fun today. We did too. Um, thank you so much. This was a really, really awesome episode. Super insightful, and I can't believe it's taken us this long to have an editor on board. So wow, that's good. You should you should definitely have more um, because I, as I mentioned, like editing differs so much across the industry that like getting perspectives from lots of different editors in lots of different roles at lots of different publishing houses and imprints will give people a much better sense of how editing works because what I said about editing is generally true in many cases, but is definitely not true in all cases. And there are probably going to be some editors who might listen to this to be like, that guy has no idea what he's talking about. How is that person? <laughs> well, we appreciate your insights and your time, Tom. And uh, thank you for joining us and having fun. Thanks. It was my pleasure. I'm always happy to chat. Well, we hope to have you back on sometime as well. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at WriterExp. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.